Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fury Fandom Podcast. My name is and always has been Saint Jim here. Oh, I like it. I go up and you go down. That's great. That's well, you know, I always try and like match your energy, <laughs> but when it comes to the intro, I always want to do something a little bit different. And uh, if you're going to put the pedal to the floor, I'm just going to uh, dial it back a little bit. Be low key today. <laughs> it's good to know. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Anytime I want to keep you on the down low, I'll just kind of throw myself out there like into traffic. Yeah. yeah, why not? I mean, don't throw yourself into traffic because we need you around, but like, you know. Eh. Some Energy days levels. more than others, yes. How are you doing, man? You know, not too bad. I had a very, very busy work day yesterday. Um, the last day of the month, as we record this, is October 1st. Uh, the last day of the month, uh, regardless of what day of the week it falls on, is a busy day for me because uh, in my role, my full-time role as a travel writer, I write a whole bunch of uh, blog post content for different clients for my business. And... Um, most of them want to post on the first of the month. They have a regular schedule on the first of the month. And the, the different platforms that we use to publish these blog posts allow us to schedule them for a certain time. Um, but uh, So they all went live this morning, uh, but they all had to be written over the course of the month. And then the last day of the month is usually the implementation phase where I do all the edits the clients came back with, um, you know, put in all the different uh, pictures and things they want. And it's more of a nuts and bolts back-end web kind of thing than... Than, uh, than, than the creative writing part, um, but it just takes time. It just takes a lot of time. So I was uh, I was at this for about 10 or 11 hours yesterday just getting all those blogs uploaded, which I kind of fucked myself on it because, honestly, as long as they're written, they can be uploaded to be scheduled to be published at any time. But I always tend to kick that can down the road to the end of the month just to make sure that in case any <laughs> last-minute edits come in, uh, I can take care of them, but also because I'm a notorious procrastinator and I've got Not that you. due tomorrow do tomorrow sort of mentality about things so my last day of the month regardless of when it falls tends to always be kind of a busy one procrastination but it's behind me now uh today's gonna be a good day the band has a gig later um Sweet. looking forward to that we're busting out some new songs so uh yeah today's today's gonna be a good day how about you how are you doing bring on the rust bucket bitches you know it uh i'm okay uh nothing really to complain about today uh had a nice uh <laughs> beginning of spoopy soup season uh, as of yesterday so I, I got real into the idea of making scratch made soup again and so nice uh, uh my kid had uh will had a, a driving test so we had to drop him off for the driving test and so me and maria ended up kicking it to the store and picking up uh some ingredients and we ended up making a scratch made clam chowder it's chowder say it right oh man i gotta get back New into England. the soups New England clam chowder, and it's it's relatively is a lot of prep work uh, for veggies and whatnot. But I mean, it's yeah, I can imagine. It's easy. So you do the New England, not the yeah, the, the cream based, not the tomato based. I don't think I've ever actually had Manhattan clam chowder. I don't think I have. I think I've had it once, but I definitely prefer. Well, okay, I used to prefer the cream based version. Every once in a while, I can still get away with it. But uh, uh, one of my first jobs. During college, during summers, during college, I worked grounds at a resort. I live kind of adjacent to a resort area, and right. I worked grounds. So, you know, like uh, just maintaining the foliage, mowing lawns, painting curbs once in a while if the yellow paint would chip, whatever. And uh, one of the uh, <clears throat> features of this job was there was a really good employee cafeteria that um, we got to eat at, and it was free because it was a resort. They had a restaurant, so they would open up the cafeteria at like 10 to 2, and people would stagger their breaks and go in and grab some lunch. 
And uh, one day I wasn't thinking. I was like maybe you know, 19, 20 years old or something. And so I was a dumb kid. And um, I had some clam chowder on a Monday. Uh, it was left over from the seafood buffet on Friday. Oh. And I don't know if it was just kind of ready to turn to start with or hadn't been refrigerated properly or what have you. But um, half the place clearly didn't wasn't thinking either. And uh, we all ate lunch between you know 10 and 2. And by 3 and 4, all of us were uh, losing our lunch in the bushes outside. <laughs> so uh, I, I got I got I love clam chowder, but I got food poisoning on clam chowder once when I was nineteen or twenty. So we're talking like twenty five years ago, you know. But um, nonetheless, That's today to uh, once in a while I can still eat it, but it's it's I kind of really have to be in the mood for it, which is a bummer because it's fucking awesome. Well, I was super in the mood for it. I found a really good recipe, um, and then of course, as everyone knows. The dumb thing about... Okay, have you ever used a recipe website or app yes. or anything like that? The dumb oh, thing yeah. about those is is you go and read the reviews to kind of get a feel for what people think about the recipe. But I'm reading the reviews for this recipe and it's like, oh, this recipe was great. I took out the tarragon though because I didn't like tarragon. And I replaced the, the uh, clam juice with fish sauce because we don't like clams in this house. But otherwise, this recipe was fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> And then the next recipe is like, oh, this was a great gluten-free option because there's no flour involved. Uh, I did take out the clams because I am a vegetarian. But it's like, oh, my God. So you guys are ranking <laughs> a recipe you didn't make. You made something based on yeah. this recipe, but you did not make this recipe. And and, and I got real super bitchy about reading all these yesterday because it's like, you didn't, you, you're, you're rating something you have no business rating. And... Uh, yeah, I get super bitchy about recipe websites sometimes because of the uh, the whole, uh, hey, do you want to find out how to make the best scratch cheddar biscuits you'll ever eat in your life? Cool. It Back when I was my a 19th child. year. <laughs> I was touring Italy. I was uh, uh, dealing with abuse because my father was a one-handed man who came home angry from the war and drank too much. It's like, how do I make the fucking biscuits, Nancy? Just give me the goddamn recipe. I'm sorry, I don't want to hear your goddamn life story. Yep, you gotta you gotta work your way through three pages of fucking life story and and backstory on each of the ingredients. It's crazy. But that being Just said, give me the fucking recipe. I, I did very off the course of the recipe too because I mean they, they had some weak numbers in there as far as like their bacon and shit. It's like four pieces of well, bacon, yeah. and that's beginners. Numbers. Oh fuck you! you. Gotta, I gotta pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. Uh. Steph but. just made a, a a TikTok recipe that I found last night. It was a uh, kind of a crock pot chicken and cheese and pasta thing. And we, we actually, I guess, are kind of semi-guilty of doing the thing that you just talked about because we did substitute chickpea pasta for regular pasta because we ain't trying to live that high-carb life, either one of us. And it turned out great. Um, it really did. But it's one of those things where I, I'm seeing this a lot in TikTok recipes because you have three minutes on TikTok. You can't necessarily fuck around with, when my father came home from the war, he had a hook for him right. and he used to beat us with it, kind of shit. So this was a pretty direct recipe, and uh, it turned out great. Um, but something I'm noticing in online recipes, there's kind of a backlash to that, you know, uh, four pieces of bacon, quarter teaspoon of garlic powder. Um, I'm just noticing people on TikTok kind of just like, yeah, just put in a couple of dashes of hot sauce. You measure the garlic with your heart. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, they're not necessarily getting so exact with it. Yeah, because when you're doing a video recipe, which is, you know, TikTok being a video-based medium, 
Um, you can't necessarily, you can say eight ounces of cream cheese, uh, one pound of pasta, whatever it is you're putting in there. But because it's a visual medium that, that just kind of got the, the camera going and you just you sort of look at it and you mentally prepare yourself for, okay, well, I'm going to definitely adjust the ratio on that one. And yeah. uh, you know, necessarily going to well, do Well, I that. mean, so, I'm not bitching about the fact that people are adjusting recipes. I do it all the time. I did it, like I said, I did oh, yeah. it last night. It's just a matter of then I don't go on and rank the recipe. I don't go on and give the rating a right. rating of five stars out of, or out of five. I don't. I don't. I don't feel I have the comfort and the, the position to do that since I modify the recipe. I'm not tasting what this guy put out. I'm not tasting what this recipe represents. I'm adjusting it. So I mean, it's, it's different. But and if you're gonna take the clams out of the clam chowder because you're a vegetarian, why in the fuck would you even make a clam chowder recipe to begin with? That's chowder. Chowder. I'll kill you. I mean. This recipe in particular, and this is the one I read the review on, uh, it was, uh, you really, I mean, you think of it as a, as a cream-based soup, but there's really only two cups of yeah. heavy cream in the whole thing. The majority mm. of the liquid that comes into this clam chowder is clam juice. Sure. So if you're a vegetarian, what are you, what are you, using water? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't get it. You make no mistake. We're not bagging on vegetarians. No, I'm just. I honestly don't know. Uh, Plant-based, meatless life, for, pretty successfully. But just why would you make fucking clam? Why would you? Why would you be cruising the internet and see a clam chowder recipe as a vegetarian and go, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna give that a crack." What the I've hell? I've always, I've always thought that with things like going to the grocery store and seeing things like uh, the chorizo substitutes, the soy rizo, it's like, okay, so you're a vegetarian or a vegan. But you still crave that Mexican street sausage kind of flavor? I mean, I don't... I don't... I never understood it. But, I mean, I've had a lot of really good meat substitutes. And, I mean, I'm not against it at yeah. all. But it's just... I, I still like meat, though. So I have a craving for meat. Yeah, so. I mean... I can dip into a vegetarian recipe once in a while. I, I, I once in a while will go to, especially Indian restaurants, because Indian restaurants, mm -hmm. Indian food in general is so heavy on flavor and aromatic spices and incredibly complex yeah. layers uh, of different things going on that I, I could eat like a chickpea-based recipe at an Indian restaurant. And it's one of the most delicious things I've ever had in my life. For More sure. often than not, I will still opt for the uh, the chicken sog or, or like a, um, you know, like a, maybe a, something with some 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 paneer, I, some some farmer cheese like, or something. But I like the lamb vindaloo. Oh, chicken vindaloo! <laughs> nice one, Bob. Yeah, or like a nice goat-based Rogan Josh. That's always really good too. <clears throat> or a, a biryani. Oh God, now I'm hungry. You're right. We're talking <sighs> about food. And we're gonna get hungry. Uh, it's not. Well, we we're got talking about all this delicious about food. We're talking about delicious food. Yeah. I had a fucking Eggo for breakfast, eating like 11 from Stranger Things. You're grounded. You know what that means? It means no Eggos. And no TV for a week. But Well, we're, we're in different time zones. Uh, so you're coming up on 11 o'clock and I'm coming up on 1 o'clock. So both of us are hovering right around lunchtime. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have a little something, something to eat, uh, probably after we wrap <laughs> up here, but, but we definitely have some stuff we want to talk about today. We got to clear some, some nerd news off the decks before we get to today's topic. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about was yep. the, the, the dawning rise of the synthespian. Um, just in the last couple of days, uh, yeah, there've been talked, a couple of things We talked about that a little bit. We talked about that a little bit, uh, 
Yeah. And the last episode is just a, a passing news article, but then we started seeing more pop up about the same basic principle, and it, 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 yeah. it warrants a bit more introspection, I think. Well, James Earl Jones, I think he's the one we talked about last time. Uh, obviously, right. a distinguished actor, uh, has a very storied career, but he's most prominent in nerd circles because of his uh, lending of the, 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 the dulcet tones of Darth Vader. That is correct. He's got a very rumbling... Um, very uh, basso profundo sort of a voice, and if you've if you've listened to Darth Vader, and we're not talking about Hayden Christensen. You know, we're not talking about uh, anybody else who's who's kind of been in the uh, in in the saga as as the Anakin Skywalker character. We're talking strictly about James Earl Jones voicing Darth right. Vader in the helmet. Um, he's getting to be up there in age. He's 94, 95 years old. He's he's eyeing retirement as anybody should be at that age. Uh, but he has told the folks at, at Lucasfilm and, of course, by extension, Disney, that he does not mind if they're able to, uh, to, to find some way, and they have, to synthesize his voice, to, to take the, the rich uh, history of, of vocal performances he's done, feed him through a computer, and then they can make him pretty much say anything as Darth Vader by using a voice sample that they can synthesize using AI and other technology. So right. he has given them the blessing to do that because it's very clear to James Earl Jones that, well, Star Wars isn't going away anytime soon. They keep on expanding the universe. And uh, obviously there's still stories in the Skywalker saga to be told if you uh, look at things like Clone Wars or if you look at things like uh, the Obi-Wan series on Disney+. Plus. So he has said, it's cool with me. Go ahead. Use my voice. And I don't mind at all if you want to, uh, to go ahead and synthesize that. So they have said okay, and they're going to do that. And that's, I think I said this last week, it's kind of, it's a little bit creepy to me on the same sort of level of like, you know, the, the, the holographic um, Tupac at Coachella or Gene Kelly dancing with the mop in that ad or, you know, using uh, past actors without really the consent of those actors because they couldn't possibly have consented if they died a long time ago to technology being used to recreate them. Um, right. It's a little ghoulish. But, I mean, and, and at least in this we, instance, it's, it's, it's doing, they're doing with his blessing. Right. And we had a similar kind of theory pop up around the uh, death of uh, uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, whether or yeah. not they would use this kind of technology to bring Leia back for uh, the uh, Rise, of, or Rise of Skywalker, or whatever the last one was, mm -hmm. uh, because she died before, obviously, she could film any of that. And what they ended up doing was uh, using old footage and not... Yeah, like re digitally recreating her, but there was that talk of, can we we can do this? Should we do this? And uh, they've kind of vetoed that. Now, I mean, and they've showed that technology works extraordinarily well. Uh, the deep fake type technology, uh, for instance, on the Mandalorian when they brought back young Luke Skywalker, or in Rogue so, One when they brought back Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. I mean, uh -huh. all you need is that analog, that stand-in. And you can digitally yeah. create whatever you want on top of their their face. So, and I guess they did do a little bit of that with Billy Lord, who is of course uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter. They did do a little bit of that. That's who, when when young Carrie Fisher showed up in in Rogue One, um, they they modeled her performance on on Billy Lord uh, as her mother, which I think that's as close to a blessing as you can possibly get. Uh, right. As long as somebody who is like somebody in their family, uh, somebody who's I guess in charge of their estate says it's okay, even that's a little bit sketchy to me. But the next thing that they announced that I read about a couple of days ago 
is uh, Bruce Willis, who we also yeah. talked about last week during the Kevin Smith episode, and in, in that they sort of clashed very famously on the set of Cop Out. Uh, Bruce Willis has sort of quietly retired, not even quietly, he didn't announce it, but he's retired from acting because he has aphasia, and it affects his ability, his motor skills, his hearing. Uh, it's just something that he, that's happening to him as he's getting older, and he's not able to necessarily perform at the level that he wants to in order to give the performance he wants to give. So Bruce Willis has given the go-ahead uh, to whoever has the technology and whoever needs to, to continue to use his likeness in films going forward. Um, he, he's letting them license his his appearance and his voice to so that Bruce Willis can continue to appear in films even though he's not going to be actively acting anymore. So that's weird because now now they can just hire bit. some some B-movie no-name actor, step in in the Bruno role, perform it, and then just green screen him out. And yeah. put a new uh, skin over the top of him and make a Bruce Willis starring in. No, the fuck he's not. And we can sort of argue all day about whether or not this is creepy or a good thing, even if it is done with the consent of the original performer. But I think there's a different underlying sort of issue here. Not issue, but at least sort of cultural thing that's happening with this. Um, it occurred to me a couple of months ago as I was standing in, in line to get into a, uh, a concert. Uh, of a guy named Mark Martell, who is um, who kind of rose to prominence uh, auditioning for. He went viral on- online because he auditioned for the Queen Extravaganza, which was the official Queen tribute band put together by Roger Taylor and Brian May of Queen to kind of tour Queen's hits because they were out there doing it with Adam Lambert, but they wanted kind of to put together a band. And this guy named Mark Martell showed up online, and and he sounds eerily like Freddie Mercury. Now, as a Queen fan, a lifelong yep, Queen fan... He sure does. He made the hair stand up at the back of my neck. So he's out there uh, kind of making a career out of being uh, a very affectionate, very dedicated, and incredibly um, uh, good Freddie Mercury impressionist. And good for him. I mean, he's fantastic at it. And I saw him uh, do his show, but then it occurred to me... Like, I'm sort of... And this does tie in. Trust me, I'm getting to a point with this. Get to the point. Um, <laughs> that a lot of the bands that I've seen in the last couple of years have been tribute bands. Now, I'm in a ostensibly a tribute band. It's not a tribute band for any one band. We do a 90s uh, grunge and alt-rock kind of review almost. But I went to go see uh, Mark Martell's latest Queen tribute project. They're very, very good uh, at recreating those Queen songs. But I've also gone to see... Leonid and Friends, who I've talked about on the podcast before. They're the Russian uh, Chicago tribute band, and they're fucking fantastic. Uh, A bunch of times I've seen a band called uh, Yacht Rock Review, who does a a Yacht Rock tribute, and I thought to myself, these are bands that are not maybe selling out, but they're playing good-sized concert halls, and they're playing other people's stuff. And it sort of like occurs to me that, that as a culture we're sort of not necessarily inventing new entertainment as much as we are recycling old entertainment. Um, a tribute band being able to play a venue like the Riverside in Milwaukee or being able to play uh, the Pabst in Milwaukee, like some of these bigger theaters that, that you, you'd be able to see an original band at, would have been unheard of 10 or 15 years ago. But there's this, this appetite for nostalgia in this country that is fueling things like heavy samples in current pop songs that's fueling movie remakes that's fueling this rise of the tribute band as being a, an actual viable touring act that people will go and see and pack out good-sized theaters and i'm not sure necessarily to what to attribute that i mean part of it is nostalgia but it kind of feels like an admission on my part 
a tacit admission, a subconscious admission, but nonetheless an admission on the part of the culture of, yeah, we kind of got nothing left. We've done everything already, so all we can really do now is go back to the well and recycle shit. And then sometimes you got to go back to the well. And I'm not sure what that necessarily means for us in terms of being an entertainment culture, but it's something that I'm seeing kind of across the entire entertainment sphere, whether it's video games, movies, music, concerts, um, and now being able to say, hey, ostensibly James Earl Jones and Bruce Willis can continue as long as the people that can license their likenesses and their voices are able to harness that technology to keep bringing them to the screen in perpetuity. I'm just not sure how to feel about it as a fan. Now, I am a fan of yeah. Bruce Willis's works. Uh, Die Hard is a must-see every Christmas, obviously, in this house. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. But, I was uh, a huge Moonlighting fan when I was a kid. I mean, I, that's as far back as I go, and I know you do, moon, too. It's, moonlighting is good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the guy's entire career. But the odd thing... I celebrate his entire catalog. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. <laughs> going to keep using that sound file. It but keeps coming the, up. The thing for me is, is, is it's, am I going to be able to make that separation and be able to see a quote-unquote yeah. Bruce Willis movie, or is it just going to bother me? Like in the back of my head, knowing that's not Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. You know? At least I mean, the with, technology keeps on getting better. Right, at least, we, well, I mean, I'm not even talking technologically. It could look 100% like Bruce Willis. It could sound mm-hmm. 100% like Bruce Willis. But you're going to know it's not Bruce Willis. And are you going to be able to get over that hurdle of, of just knowing that it's not? It's all artifice. It's all fake. Well, and, and, and yeah, it, it is. feels like it would be really insurmountable to get around. Like, I, I mean, the idea in theory, conceptually, is interesting. But the implementation of that is going to be... I don't know. I well, I also think we, we, we better get used to it, because if two giant A-list household names like James Earl Jones and Bruce Willis are giving their blessing on this, it's going to be a damn opener. It's going to be something that's going to keep on happening. Um, anybody who, who assumes they have any kind of <clears throat> a legacy at all, in terms of being an artist or a performer or a going concern, they're, they're, they're going to go ahead and say that. They're, they're going to say, yeah, you can use this, because there have been many, you know, if you look at something like... Um, what was the the, uh, the the Scorsese movie, uh, the Englishman, the Irishman, where they, the they Irishman, were able yeah. to uh, to use the uh, the youthening technology on Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, and they did the same thing to Michael Douglas in the Ant Man movies. You know, they, they've gotten really good at this de aging thing. Um, when a a young Robert Downey Jr. Uh, as Tony Stark showed up in one of the Avengers movies, that you looked at that in the flashback sequence and you went, oh Jesus! Of course, you know they have lots and lots of archived footage of people like Michael Douglas and Robert Downey because they've been actors for a long time to draw on in order to make sure that that likeness is represented well. But you're right. I mean, in the back of our heads, regardless of how good it gets or how successfully it's employed or how how well it's employed narratively, it's always going to kind of be there that, you know, it's Bruce Willis, but is it? I mean, it's kind of like an uncanny valley sort of thing if you want to break it down. Yeah, like fucking asterisks on a baseball record. It's like... Bruce Willis, asterisk, starring in... Yeah. That's not really Bruce, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it'll be a little bit less egregious if it's a voice, if it's James Earl Jones and he can continue... Because we never did see Darth Vader's face until Luke took the uh, the helmet off and, you know, hearing the voice is something else. They could just kind of overdub that and whatever. Maybe that'll be a little bit less sort of like, you know, eh. But I don't know. I mean, seeing a, a full-on skin puppet up there on the screen dancing around pretending to be somebody else... I've been a little uncomfortable with it when it was Peter Cushing. I was a little uncomfortable with it when it was uh, um, Carrie Fisher. 
But, yeah, you know, I guess if it's done with the blessing of the actor, I guess fundamentally I can't have a problem with it, even if it rings a little artificial when you do see it play out on the screen. It's a fake. Yeah. I'm just not sure if I'm if I'm ready to accept it yet. Maybe, and maybe that's just me being a codger, an old man, uh, not willing to accept the new wave of things. And I'm going to reserve judgment until I see it, even though we already have seen it a couple of times. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they employ it. So It'll I'll, be interesting I'll hold to see and... it independent of everything else. I mean, like yeah. I said, we've seen it with... Uh, uh, the closest we've come is with the Peter Cushing thing. It's because yeah. Peter Cushing's been dead long, long, long time. Uh, Carrie Fisher just died, and so they were able to use a lot of archival footage and things that she already shot. But like, Or even like the young Jeff Bridges in the... In the um, uh, in the Tron movies? Yeah, yeah, in the Tron movies. That was... It... it, it, it Sometimes it's great. But Jeff Bridges not... is still there to lend a hand on that, and that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, he's still able to do the modeling for it. And he can put the on the ping pong with... ball suit, and they can put his own face over it. Right. The same thing with uh, with Mark Hamill stepping in to help with the uh, the new uh, Luke Skywalker bits for the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah. They had a body double uh, jump in and and do the the actual physicality of it, uh, which is what we're going to end up with as as our Bruce Willis analog we're gonna have uh, a dude step into the role and just they're just gonna computer digitize bruce onto him and i don't know it's different we'll when he's not an active part of making it i guess and it'd be even worse if the actor is dead i mean like the holographic tupac thing worked once and exactly yeah. once because we knew what it was we knew it's mm -hmm. a stunt they know we're not but by now picture that Say, let's do the same thing. Let's extrapolate out from there. Holographic Tupac has a new record. <sighs> no, he, no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, songs, no, he doesn't. These, these songs were not written by Tupac. They were not performed by Tupac. They're performed it's not a by... Prince situation where he recorded reams and reams of work and stuff that right. evolved for the, so that we'd have entertainment during the apocalypse. Right, but, I mean, I mean, maybe he did, but the, the sample fact of the matter is, is you are seeing, and I like how you phrased it, a skin puppet of simulacra of this thing yeah. that we like. I mean, it's, it's odd. It's an odd road. And not, not, this is just one of the news articles we were going to talk about. This isn't exactly something we were going to spend a, a great deal of time focusing on, but it is something that warrants a little bit of discussion, I think. Yeah. It is something that is... is like you said, it's the fucking future, and uh, it's coming whether we're ready for it or not. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! So. Mm-hmm. And if Bruce Willis and James Earl Jones are willing to sign on for it, you can bet they're not going to be the last. They will not be the last, and, and there's going to be some hefty paychecks involved with this, I think, too. I mean, the Bruce Willis yeah. estate will probably continue getting money. James Earl Jones' estate will probably continue getting money uh, in well into the future, just based on... The yeah. body of work alone. I mean, so likeness rights has been a thing for a long time. I mean, we, we we've uh, heard about it even as far back as I mean, when video games. You know, if you're going to make a uh, a video game featuring like I don't know an NBA roster or something, or, or if you're going to like make a video game based on a movie and you want to license the appearance of an actor, uh, right. very famously the uh, the Marvel uh, Avengers game did not do that. So it's kind of jarring to see people show up on the screen as video game characters that aren't the characters we we've known and loved with the, in the MCU for the last twelve thirteen years. Well, um, that's what you get when you order your superheroes off of Wish. Boom. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> but like as far back as when I was playing uh, Space Channel Five on the the Sega Dreamcast in the late nineties, um, they went to Lady Miss Keir, who was the singer of uh, of Delight, the the Groove is in the Heart hitmakers, and they decided they were going to try and license her likeness for the main character of Ulala in in uh, Space Channel Five, and she said. Uh, you know, take a flying fuck and a rolling donut, I'm not doing that. And they did it anyway. And then she sued and lost. Uh, because the character wound up looking just like her and having very similar dance moves and a similar sort of, like, fashion aesthetic. So they, um, yeah. She they, lost? Or they lost? She lost. She lost. Um, even though it was egregious. Oh. She sued over the likeness rights. And, and I, I thought she won, but I recently looked up that article because I, I thought that was egregious and she definitely should have gotten paid for that even though she, cause she said no and they did it anyway. But then she wound up losing because they, I guess at the time, the argument was, well, the technology's not really there. They made a character that's similar. Uh, so she's got pink pigtails and uh, eyeliner wings. It doesn't necessarily mean it's you. But they asked me and I said, no, yeah, but we're going to, you know, it's, it's a classic case of uh, legislation moving much slower than technology. And them not necessarily having the, the presence of mind to know what they were adjudicating at the, at the court level. Because she should have won that. She absolutely should have won yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless, I mean, I think as, as this continues to happen, we're going to see more and more of this stuff popping up. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Indeed. Are we going to be able to just accept uh, dead movie stars into the future? Or are we just going to shy away from that and run kicking and screaming away from it? Who knows? Who Tough knows what form Skynet will take in the future. But speaking of movie stars and shit we talked about last week, another article came up just today on me, and I find this interesting. We did talk about, when we were talking about Kevin Smith last week, that the Clerks 3 Blu-ray was going to be coming a lot faster than most people might expect. Now, yep. Clerks 3, at the time of this recording, it's October 1st, so it is a new month. Uh, you and I both saw Clerks 3 last month. I saw it at a Fathom Events thing. You saw yep. it on the Convenience Tour. I'm headed to the Convenience Tour in November. So... Uh, Kevin Smith is still out there touring um, yep. this this movie, but the Clerks 3 Blu-ray is coming in a Steelbook edition on October 14th. So two weeks from today, the Clerks 3 movie will be releasing on DVD. Well, technically, I know, I read the article you sent me. Technically, it's releasing on digital mid-October. It's not coming to DVD until December. Ah, okay, but, see, I missed that part. And either way, I mean, you're going to be able to watch this movie in your home, in the comfort of your own living yeah. room, and I will. Um, <clears throat> Which is so weird to me in the age of streaming and, and, and work at home and COVID and everything else. But it's, I guess it's, a, a, once again, like the Synthespian thing, it's a sign of the times. It's kind of just the way that he's making movies now, because he's not beholden yeah. to some big, huge movie company in one of these, you know, theatrical run first kind of situations. He's in a, I don't want to say it's a good situation, I don't want to say it's a bad situation, but... Uh, uh, his movies are created basically for a very limited audience, and mm -hmm. we saw that. We saw that with uh, reboot. We saw that with with uh, things like Yoga Hosers and Tusk and everything. Or like Killer that. I was here was created for an extremely limited audience because he sold bad as an NFT. Right. So I mean, he's 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 making these movies kind of on. A, I don't want to say it's self funded because it's not, but it's it's more self funded than it is Hollywood system funded. And, yeah. and so, uh, extremely limited budget, extremely li limited, you know, shooting time, shooting window. Like, he has, like, months instead of a year to film a movie or whatever. But uh, uh, because of this situation, he's able to do the turnaround on it so quickly. I mean, and Kevin's also the kind of guy who's editing at the same time as he's shooting anyway, because he's an yeah. editor for a lot of his things, too. So, 
he's already making the movie as he's making the movie. So the fact that it pops he's still up, got that that cheap and dirty, quick get it down and move on kind of indie auteur ethic. Right, but the fact that they pop up so quickly in the theaters, if they even show in theaters, is not a surprise. And then having it come from the theater. It used to be back in the day of VHS, uh, and I'm going to date myself just a little bit here. <laughs> we are so old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody day, has to. Uh, back in the day, it took forever for a movie to go from theatrical release to video release. Uh, it was a big thing. I want to say six to eight months, maybe a year even after the movie left theaters it took to get there. and that takes that's because you have to create the vhs create the box art create the mm -hmm. uh, the marketing tools for that get the marketing system in place for it uh, get it into the blockbusters and hollywood videos of the time and i mean it, it was a lengthy process and where it's not so much yeah. now with everything being digital or 95 percent of the shit being digital or easily transferred to digital it's something that can happen at lightning speed. You can film a movie on 35 millimeter print and have it printed over to uh, digital in a day. It Especially through Kevin Smith, who's used to doing things very quickly. Well, and he does his shit completely digital now. So it's once yeah. you get that digital edit done, the movie's done. I mean, yeah. it's it's not, a, and, and it doesn't take much to burn it to a DVD. So if you've got the departments working on like the steel book or the, or the box art or the uh, special features or whatnot at the same time it's real quick and easy to do a turnaround on something like that which is i mean directors I like will still say cut and print but there's no printing left anymore nope but i like it i like the fact that there's not that way i'm a very impatient cat so you know i like being able to get back into these things asap you know well, we live in an, in an on-demand, instant gratification sort of society. So, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Kevin Smith, and if you're anything like us, you probably are. Yep. And you haven't had a chance to see Clerks 3 on its limited theatrical release or sort of like the convenience tour, which is a stop at a time. Then you're going to be able to dig into Clerks 3 uh, in, in fewer than two weeks by the time you hear this. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to sit down and, and kind of examine the movie more just because, yeah. I mean... It, the seats were uncomfortable. It was, you know, not the very sound in this empty hollow theater. And I'd, I'd like to be able to take it in a bit more at my pace. So I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, okay. And the next item on the list is that I just read this yesterday as well. And it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, not not a, a be-all, end-all sort of a thing. But um, uh, one of my big fandoms, obviously, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, is, uh, is 90s grunge and alt-rock. The band that I'm in is uh, a 90s grunge and alt-rock tribute. Um, and Jane's Addiction is back out on tour with uh, Smashing Pumpkins. But I just read yesterday... That's a very Dave 90s Navarro. thing to say. Yeah, it really is. But Dave Navarro, who uh, very famously is Jane's Addiction's guitarist, um, will be skipping at least the first leg of the tour, uh, which is a drag, because otherwise it is the, the original lineup. It's Perry Farrell... Stephen Perkins and Eric Avery, who was their bass player for the first couple of records, who left at some point, and he's he's now back in too. So it's everybody except Dave Navarro, which is a shame because he's one of the better virtuoso guitarists of the uh, the '90s grunge and alt rock era. Um, but Dave Navarro has been dealing with long COVID uh, for a long Ugh. time, and it's kicking his ass. He got sick, 
and he still is is incredibly fatigued and uh, he's just limited in what he's able to do. Now we talked about Ink Master a couple of weeks ago. It's a show that I love, and um, he has been the host of that for thirteen or fourteen seasons, <clears throat> but he very recently had to step down from that. He's still involved with the show. The newest season is out, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I'm going to get around to it. It's streaming on Paramount+. Plus. But he has taken a reduced role as something they call the Master of Chaos, um, where he sort of pops up in video packages and says, okay, here's your tattoo challenge, except here's a cutthroat kitchen kind of thing where you got to do it blindfolded, or you got to do it while you're listening to music you don't like, or I haven't watched the show, so I don't know what the challenges are. But he sort of introduces twists that make things more difficult for the contestants. Um, and Benji Madden of Good Charlotte has stepped in as host. Um, just because Dave is getting his ass kicked. So he's skipping the first leg of the Jane's Addiction Tour, which is a bummer. Uh, he's hoping to get back at it as soon as he gets back on his feet. But um, as, as somebody who's a fan of Dave Navarro, because I really just like him as a person, as well as a musician, it's just kind of... There was touch and go there, and they were trying to figure out <clears throat> whether or not he was going to have the... Uh, Ability to step in and, and do his thing, but it looks like he's just going to take a powder for a minute while he uh, heals up and feels better from long COVID. I mean, it's sad that it's it's having this kind of an effect. <clears throat> I mean, it's bound to happen. Uh, yeah, we're we're still on the tail end of this whole pandemic thing, and so we're trying to still get our hands around uh, what the long term effects of having COVID will do. I yeah, mean, we can we can guess all we want, but I mean, it's really going to be a thing where it's. You know, we just have to wait and see what it does, unfortunately. So. I just kind of hope they come up with some kind of an effective treatment for it because, yeah, it's just heartbreaking to see that kind of thing. I, I know some people who have been affected by long COVID, and it's just, uh, you know, I had COVID at one point, and uh, I, I, yeah, I am kind of, like, fatigued and, and kind of groggy a lot of the time. I don't know how much of that has to do with COVID and how much of it has to do with the fact that I'm old and out of shape. But, you know, uh, regardless, it's just one of those things that, uh, as a society we're, we're going to have to deal with over time. And, and, and the more we learn about it, the more we figure out about it, the hopefully we can find some end runs and some, some fixes and whatever else. But um, one of the things that we will not probably find a fix for anytime soon is it continues to be a chronic problem. Something else we've talked about quite a bit that I'm kind of tired of talking about, but we have to talk about because it's been coming up in the entertainment news a lot lately, is <laughs> institutionalized fucking racism. Yeah, and that I... reared its ugly head again this week twice. Uh, I mean, it's, it never really goes away. It comes back all the time. But <clears throat> two very prominent entertainers of color have kind of fallen under the 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 um, the, the heavy chains of, of racism again uh, because um, uh, of different things that they did that nobody would bat an eye if they were white, but because they're performers of color, uh, the racists come out of the woodwork and... Um, uh, gosh, like we talked about how everybody was all pissed off about, oh, there's black elves, oh, there's a black mermaid. Well, you didn't give a shit about this stuff last week. And first of all, elves are fictional and so are mermaids. They can be any color anybody wants them to be. But one of the things that happened this week is Lizzo, who I think is a fantastic performer. I think she's amazing. She's incredibly talented. She's very take-no-bullshit and lives life on her own terms, and I kind of love her for that. Absolutely. But she, um, yeah, she she went to the National Archives uh, in advance of a concert she was doing in the D.C. area, and she was uh, given a an antique crystal flute that once belonged to James Madison, one of the founding fathers, and uh, she played the flute in the uh, the National Archives. And there's some video of that, 
and she is a very accomplished flautist and quite excellent. I mean, she, she's an amazing, amazing musician across the board, but she plays flute very, very beautifully. And uh, this crystal flute apparently never been played before. It had been given to James Madison as a gift under some sort of like diplomatic thing in the early days of the country. And uh, he immediately turned it over to the National Archives, where it's pretty much been sitting gathering dust ever since. Uh, this thing was barely written about. Nobody really even knew it existed or that it was a thing. But because uh, Lizzo is an accomplished and famous flautist was going to be in town, the National Archives thought, well, this will be cool. We'll bring her in. We'll give her the flute. We'll see if it even is playable. And, you know, uh, she can give it a, a whirl. So she did that. And then they did the same thing during her show. And there's footage of this as well, where somebody from the archives with, you know, white gloves and a polishing cloth came up and handed her the flute on stage. And she played the flute on stage. And, um, and the racists just went fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah! They came out of, came the, out of the woodwork and went nuts. Yeah. Oh, God. Something they didn't even know existed yesterday, this uh, antique crystal flute that once belonged to James Madison, apparently because a, uh, uh, a scantily clad black woman shook her butt while she was playing it, that's just taking a shit on America's history. Um, I, just don't, I just don't get it. And George Takei, I think, had the best take on this. His, his tweet went viral when he said, well, if you wouldn't have had a problem with, like, I don't know, Taylor Swift playing Benjamin Franklin's piano, then fuck you for having an issue with Lizzo playing James Madison's flute. And of course this went around and around and around on the internet for a while, and somebody else tweeted, I don't have the handle in front of me, but it also went viral. Um, let's not forget, if we know our history, that James Madison was also the author of the Three-Fifths Compromise, which was the thing back in the day where, uh, for tax purposes, for their owner's tax purposes, he said that black people, i.e. slaves at the time, would be considered three-fifths of a human being. Not really a full person, more than half, though. So three-fifths of a human being. And this was his flute. So personally, I think it was a really beautiful moment in both American and entertainment history for an accomplished and lauded black performer to be playing this flute that belonged to a racist founding father. And the fact that she didn't toss it on the ground and smash it in a million pieces afterwards is, I think, testament to her strength as a performer and a human being. Because um, whoever, the, you know, the original owner of this flute would not have... Uh, approved of, of, of her even being on stage to begin with, much less touching the shit. And I guess that's the, the point the racists were making, is, well, you wouldn't have wanted that. Yeah, but it's been 250 years, and we've kind of, at least in theory, developed a little bit past the uh, Founding Fathers' originalist racism. So what he would have wanted isn't necessarily the greatest arbiter for what we should still be clinging to. But whatever. Right. I mean, I don't know. I just think it was bullshit. And then the other side of that, um, Trevor Noah... Uh, just in the last day or two, announced that he'll be stepping down from hosting The Daily Show, which seven is a bummer. Years I mean, The in. Daily Show. Yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's a great show. It's always been a great show. It got better when Jon Stewart took it over from Craig Kilborn and made it very uh, political and, and turned it into a, a, uh, a satirical news source, but still a really solid news source. I mean, he would make fun of the news, but he'd report it. And then Trevor Noah took over seven years ago. Jon Stewart hosted for 14 or 15 years, so Trevor's tenure was only about half what Jon's was. But I'm already seeing <clears throat> hot takes, and, and I'm saying hot as hot as like a, 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 a steamer you'd uncoil on the fucking living room floor. Excuse me, is this Sarcasm 101? No, it's Lamaze class from Men Named Arthur. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> it is Sarcasm 101. Be more gullible. Take any seat you want. Um, of people saying, oh, great, well, you know, the ratings have been shit since he took it over. It hasn't been good since Jon Stewart did it. Maybe we can get a, uh, <clears throat> a good host, a real host back in. And of course, the undercover dog whistle language of that is, well, Jon Stewart was white and Trevor Noah was not. 
And Trevor Noah was not just African-American. He was African-American. Trevor Noah was born in South Africa during apartheid. Right. Right. Um, very famously, his, his uh, biography uh, was, was called Born a Crime because he is of, of mixed race heritage. Um, his his uh, parents were, uh, he's biracial because his parents were black and white. And so their marriage and having children, especially in apartheid era South Africa, was um, completely verboten. So the racists have been coming out in, in favor of, oh, maybe we'll get a good host again now, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm just saying what we all think kind of bullshit. So that's really sad because it's. I think he's done a fine job. Uh, the Daily Show is great. I love Trevor Noah on that chair. Um, so it just sucks that people are going to go ahead and shit on his legacy. I have, and his I have to keep holding on to the fact that I think that we're still kind of in the death death throes of this uh, racist mindset, and maybe not necessarily forever. Of course, you're not going to get rid of anything uh, super like forever. I mean, it's just it's going to always be kind of in the background, but. I think yeah. I, I I have to hold on to hope that we're, we're kind of at the tail end of this loud racism, as 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 all these barriers get broken down and and things like change our, our attitudes, uh, but because this is definitely a minority, mm-hmm. and I'm not, and I'm not talking, I'm yeah right. Yes. I'm not I'm not a very loud vocal minority. Always black or always Mexican or Asian or whatever. Not that kind of minority. This is a. a a developmental minority, a, a, a ideological minority, and uh, a religious minority, if mm-hmm. you will. Death is loud and scary, and 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 change is definitely loud and scary and 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 fiery. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, this rhetoric is just the the last vestiges of this era sending it back into the past where it belonged. Well, I think as, as much as it, it, it sucks to have to do this, society demands that we do, but we can lump racism in with things like conservatism and evangelical Christianity. All of them, uh, every Pew study, every survey, every Gallup poll that I see um, is, is saying that these things are starting to die off. And you're right, death is loud. Um, I think the fact that these things are beginning to be increasingly seen as being undesirable, um, th- the, the sort of power grab we're seeing, especially on the part of like the conservative evangelicals, where we're seeing things like the Dobbs decision and, and uh, the Kennedy decision at the Supreme Court level, where we're saying, no, prayer in schools is fine, doesn't matter. Separation of church and state isn't really a real thing. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and, and wink and nudge and say that we're, you know, uh, protecting children when we overturn Roe v. Wade, but really it's about biblical principles, and we're not allowed to legislate based on that, according to the First Amendment, but we're going to do it anyway in a very sort of sub rosa capacity. And I think you're right. I think that the sort of mad power grab of the racists, the evangelicals, and the conservatives, and the undue influence they're exerting, and the, the, the amount of, the lengths they have to go to to cheat, to gerrymander, to lie, to, uh, to do all this stuff to kind of hang on to the waning threads of their power, it's because they're waning. It's because they're going away. Their influence and their dinosaur mindsets and all these things are just starting to recede into the, the hists of mystery and the mists of history. And, uh, you know, I think this is just all, it's just all desperation on their part. And I, I, I'm, I think it's a good sign. I think it really, even though it's affecting people in the short term, you're right. In the long term, that's just, it's, it's indicating that these things are going away. And uh, I honestly am going to be very happy to see the undue influence these minority rule from behind kind of people have had for so long. It can't just fall by the wayside and go bye-bye. Sure. 
Well, we wish Trevor Noah no, well. Definitely. Uh, he's like you said, he's been a great host, and uh, I for one have enjoyed mm-hmm. the Daily Show for many, many years, and we will see what the future holds for at this point. So, faux show. But that brings right. us to the meat of what we wanted to talk meat. about today, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the meat. The meat. Yeah, Sam already thinking about lunch again. The meat. Uh, today we wanted to talk about, um, because in the news again, this came up and we just talked about it a couple of days ago, uh, Google, um, obviously one of the most prominent tech companies in the world, they're always mentioned in the same breath as like uh, Apple and Microsoft right. and, uh, and Meta, i.e. Facebook. Um, so one of the biggest multi-billion dollar international tech companies in the world um, has had a rare failure. In the last couple of days, they have announced that they're embattled, if you will. Uh, they're sort of maligned video game platform, a streaming video game platform, cloud-based, called Stadia, which they've been pushing like crazy for the last yep, couple January of years. They're going to be shutting it down. Um, it's not going to be... Yeah. They've been selling these, uh, these appliances that are basically... Uh, uh, cloud portals that you can get at cloud-based gaming, and they've been working like mad to sort of strike deals with game developers to bring high-profile AAA games to the uh, Google Stadia cloud-based gaming platform, but the users just haven't embraced it, and it's going away. They're going to be shutting it down because it just hasn't had enough adopters to be able to be viable as a going concern anymore, and that got us thinking. It's interesting because tech is a very fast-moving and ever-evolving sort of thing, and for every next big thing that comes out that blows up, like, I don't know, like an iPod or like an Xbox or something, the, the trail of dead, of just failed technology products uh, that were supposed to be huge, that came out with a lot of fanfare, and that uh, were supposed to be these revolutionary household items, just went and just yeah, fell we down ta- and died. We were talking about and that. And there's a lot of them. We were talking about that. So we that thought we'd uh, dig we into that a little bit today. today and... and uh... Uh, we started going back and forth over the things that we ourselves personally have have adopted and uh, the failures that we've oh, embraced. Yeah. So, I mean, it just seemed kind of like we, we, we're uniquely uh, yes. qualified to speak on the situation. Uh, we were talking about, what is it, Betamax versus VHS. Oh, yeah. HD versus Blu-ray or uh, Zune versus iPod. Yeah, it was or, I mean, mm-hmm. all of these different technologies. Now, now, you look at something like the Zune and the iPod. The technology is essentially the same, and the thing that I think really killed that is uh, mm-hmm. uh, the delivery method of it. I mean, Apple just had a more robust catalog; they had a more robust yes. uh, uh, platform uh, with which to release their stuff. And I don't think Microsoft is a huge concern. I'm not saying anything about Microsoft, but the back end work on that has always been kind of slapdash. Whereas Apple has always been kind of a more refined and more uh, user-friendly experience, yeah. Polished and user-friendly. I don't, I don't know, we vomit and shit all over that all the time, but the fact of the matter is, as far as, as regards to uh, iTunes and, and, the, and uh, the iPod and the iPhone, I mean, they, they're right. They've got a product that is really hard to beat. And when you have that product that's hard to beat, yeah, even if you have... Uh, a better delivery method like I'm not saying the zoom was a better or worse thing but you look at something like uh, oh, I don't know beta, like beta, beta versus VHS beta, I was just going to say Betamax versus VHS Betamax had some definite positives over VHS whereas VHS's yeah. beneficial nature was just well, beta. Ability. beta was kind of funny beta because beta was seen at the time and actually was at the time 
the preferred videotape method for professional broadcasters. Beta was very ubiquitous, and in some cases still is in, in television production and broadcast, because it was a better quality. If right. you look at the, 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 the videotape of the time, the beta stuff was actually better than VHS. But because beta was seen as kind of a professional niche product, uh, VHS came out at a much more friendly uh, consumer price point at the time, and even though it wasn't as good... Um, they just got better market penetration in a shorter amount of time, and beta sort of had to play catch-up. And even though they were better, uh, the, the video quality was better. It was more expensive. It was kind of seen as a professional versus a consumer product. Right. And it just never achieved any great strides in home video like VHS did at the time. And we saw the same thing that revolves around uh, Sony had a mini-disc player for a while. Right towards oh, the shit, I loved mini-disc. The tail end of, of CDs going into... And some will say CDs still aren't dead. They're 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 dinosaurs, folks. Get ready to to bury them. Sorry, but uh, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. But uh, but in the, that kind of waning edge of the CD and into the MP3 version of things uh, is where we got this mini disc player. And this mini disc, the mini disc, the Sony mini disc was so good. Uh, you could store it was like five or six CDs on one disc. Um, I loved mini disc, and I actually I, I was a holdout on MP3 because uh, Apple, uh, like you said, had such incredible market saturation, and I have never been a fan of Apple. It's it's a personal thing because I originally started my career in creative work as a, as a graphic artist, but I worked on the PC and Corel platform, and then when I tried to get a job after that job went away, um, I couldn't because the uh, Adobe Creative Suite on Apple was still still is the the art directors the world over have convinced their their users that's the only thing you can create on and i had no experience with it and it was much less user friendly so i developed a real fuck apple sort of attitude that persists to this day i, I, I but i so i i held up I, I actually had a mini disc player um because yeah the capacity in those things they were uh like a fifth of the size of a cd and they came in a little plastic housing and you could fit them into compact players i originally bought it because at the time i was doing a lot of work in theater I was a theater major in college, and I was doing some tech work where I was doing uh, sound design, and I was actually sitting in a booth during shows I wasn't on stage and running sound. And the classic example of like running sound cues that needed to happen during the show was a stack of, uh, of, of analog uh, audio cassettes, which over time wore down, kind of sounded like shit. The stack, you could knock it over, but if you could create a, uh, a, a mini disc that you could have all those sound effects on yep. one disc and then you could just hit skip track and then play it and it'd be there in digital clarity at the touch of a fingertip I bought myself a mini disc deck and then I got so in love with the technology that I wound up buying one of the small pocket size like it was barely the size of half of a pack of cards and it would fit right in your pocket and I used to bootleg shows with that because you could plug a phantom <laughs> power microphone into the auxiliary port on the top and, and record things in your pocket um, but I also brought it along in my car with a tiny wallet of, of uh collections of music that I really liked because at the time the only real viable mp3 player was an apple and it had to work with iTunes and at the time iTunes would only work on uh, they didn't have a windows version yet and I didn't I wasn't going to buy a mac just to be able to to get music in my car right so I held out but then as mp3 sort of caught on as a technology I wound up still saying fuck you to apple and I bought uh, there's a company called creative that's still around but they've, you know, they, they're in diminished capacity because of these early, not failures, but at least failure of people to adopt their, their hardware. Uh, they had a, an appliance called the Zen Creative Jukebox, and it was at the time a, a, a giant capacity 40 gig player, this little chrome thing, 
Not as slick looking or as easy to use as the iPod, but because it wasn't an Apple product, I was all about it and I bought it and I used it and uh, it wound up getting stolen. And then they came out with, uh, after the iPod with the screen on it, the color screen and the click wheel came out. Uh, Creative uh, came out with a Zen, I don't remember even what it was called, Zen Color, I think it was called. And it was kind of like the, the, uh, the iPod video. And it had a very similar sort of user interface and form factor. And I bought that and I loved it. Um, and I used that for a couple years until the one time I went to get out of my car and forgot the player was on my lap and I stood up and hit oh the pavement no. and bricked. And then I, by that time I couldn't buy another one because they had failed to the point where they weren't for sale anymore and, and even used they were kind of out of my price range because they became kind of a niche fan product. So um, yeah, but that again, like you said, I, I'm one of those people that had a really, really hard time picking good technology. I have a hard time adopting good technology, got a track record of that. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I had a buddy who worked at a video store, and he was a huge comic book fan, and we went to go see The Crow in the theaters a couple times, because, you know, going back to that Synthespians thing, that might have been the first time that anybody had to replace an actor who passed on during production. Um, yeah, they used a stand-in for Brandon Lee to finish up his final few scenes. But uh, we were big fans of The Crow, because J.O. Barr had written the comic book, we both liked the comic book. We saw The Crow a couple times in the theater... And then he worked at a video store, and we had it on video cassette as well. But then we went to WizardCon in Chicago, the comic book convention, and we found a booth that was selling Laserdiscs. Now, I was aware of Laserdisc, but at the time I didn't have a Laserdisc player. But he, because he was such a huge fan of this movie, and so was I, he bought a Laserdisc copy of The Crow. And the only place that we knew that had a Laserdisc was my college, and this was probably 1993. So... Yeah, we went to, uh, actually, no, I wasn't even in the college at that point, but his girlfriend was at the college, and I did wind up going to that college. I was probably uh, 91, 92. I might have been a senior in high school. And we went to uh, the college library and sat down and watched The Crow on Laserdisc. And there's a scene in The Crow where Eric Draven is, is, has just slaughtered Top Dollar's entire boardroom, and he's going after all the guys that assaulted and murdered his girlfriend, and he's walking on top of the, the, the big, lengthy boardroom table after slaughtering the entire assembled goon squad, and he's going after Skank, who's the last victim, the last uh, guy who, who was the, one of the, the, the quad of, of toughs that, that murdered this dude's lady. And he's walking along this table slowly, and Skank is underneath the table, kind of scampering away from him, and it's this real chiaroscuro kind of a shot on the screen where there's a ceiling fan going on over him, and it's very black and white with these flashes of light. And as the light is hitting Brandon Lee as Eric Draven as the crow, you can see the light winking off of the bullet shells in his hair. Now, in the comic book, every time he killed one of the guys that, that murdered his girlfriend, he would take the bullet shell that he murdered him with and tie it into his hair. And that wasn't a thing that they made a big plot point about in the movie, and Watching it in the theater and watching it on VHS, we had not noticed this detail. But watching it on digital, we, we noticed the bullet shells in it in Brandon Lee's hair. And I went, oh, oh look, the bullet shells. And we both went, oh. And we thought, okay, digital's the future. I went out that day at 19, 18 or 19 years old, applied for a Best Buy credit card, in-store credit card, bought myself a Laserdisc player so that I could have Laserdiscs. And then I went out as a, convincing myself that I was a cinephile, and I was indulging myself in the, at the time, uh, best home video version of whatever movies were coming out, and I bought a whole fuckload of Laserdiscs. I still have the Laserdisc player, but a month to the day after I bought that Laserdisc player, I was reading Consumer Reports, because I'm a dork, and at the time I read a lot of Consumer Reports, 
and they talked about this new home video format called Digital Versatile Disc that was going to revolutionize the home video and video rental industry. A month, a month to the day after I sunk 300 bucks into a Laserdisc player, I read about DVDs. <clears throat> so, yep. um, my, te my technology picking uh, brain has never been great, because then I went on to do the Minidisc thing instead of MP3. Um, there well, was I'm a, right uh, there with you, because I back, uh, back in the day when uh, there was uh, the format wars which, between uh, HD and mm -hmm. uh, HD and Blu-ray... Uh, I was uh, big on. I was. I wasn't much of a PlayStation player back then. I was more, way more of an Xbox player back then. Same. And so when the 360 came out with that uh, Xbox 360 DV, HD DVD player, I was the add-on. Uh, yeah, it was easy enough for me. It was only a couple hundred bucks, and throw that on, and you get that crystal clear quality of movie. And 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 I backed it, and I and I started buying HD DVDs, and I think it was. I don't want to say like two, three months after I backed it, that they announced the winner in the format wars, of course, going to Blu-ray, which Sony is... Yeah. It was their PS3 at the time, was the big uh, mm -hmm. Blu-ray Blu player to get. And so that was one. So, and I think that's really what really started me picking up multiple consoles and wanting to have multiple consoles in, in, in my house. You kind of had to. And running at that time is because yeah, if you wanted a Blu-ray player, you get why why just settle for a Blu-ray player when you can get a Blu-ray player that also plays. Yeah, you still kind of have to do that. So. And then I I did another thing a couple years later, where my parents when I was at college really wanted to be able to stay in touch via email because I had email at the time, and um, I mean obviously I still do, but yeah, it was the first email address I had when I went to college. Yeah, uh, so my parents didn't want a computer because computers at the time were super expensive. And, you know, they did a whole bunch of things my parents didn't need. And they said, is there a thing that just can get us online to be able to look at websites and do email and not have to have a whole-ass computer? You've got And mail. I had remembered seeing, yeah, even though I'm not a sports fan, I at the time had watched, um, you know, was watching the Super Bowl for the commercials. And there was this company that had a huge startup nest egg called NetPliance. And they were trying to fill the gap because email and internet was, it was like the mid to late 90s and it was kind of a new thing. And they were trying to create an appliance for people who wanted to get online but didn't either didn't have a need for or the budget for a full-ass computer, which were still like, you know, $1,500, $1,600 at the time for a base model HP or Compaq. Um, so I advised my parents to buy this thing. Now, it was called the iOpener, uh, like, like iPhone or <laughs> iPod. iOpener. And it was not a computer, but it had a screen and a base on it that had some basic electronics in it. And then it came with a mouse and a keyboard. And the idea was, they were kind of doing the sort of thing like the, the the original Gillette razor blade model. We'll take a hit on the handle if we sell you proprietary blades. So what this thing did is, we're going to sell you this thing for like 300 bucks. I remember the price on it was 300 bucks, which at the time was actually pretty reasonable for a, a computer-like device. And uh, they would sell you the ISP. You had to subscribe to their ISP for like 20 bucks a month. That was where they were making their money, and the, yeah. the hardware was a loss leader. So this thing would sit on a desktop and had a keyboard, a mouse, a screen, and a little base that had some electronics in it. And you could look at web pages over the dial-up connection that you connected to the back of the phone line, and you could get email through various web services and whatever else. And to their credit, this thing actually worked out pretty well. Um, it was slow as shit because it was <laughs> dial-up only.
They did eventually apparently try to come out with a broadband adapter later, but by this time the thing had petered out and was no longer in, you know something you could buy. But they actually used that thing for a couple years, but um, eventually the uh, the ISP just went bankrupt. They they wound up farming out the service to of like AOL and then you know some other uh, uh, sort of like cell phones do now with like we're going to rent tower space if we're a, a smaller bell, um, you know. So they uh, they did that, and but eventually the service stopped working and and the thing became a brick. But you know, I, I advised them to buy that thing because they wanted a computer-like device that wasn't a computer. And I did the same thing a couple years later when I couldn't afford a laptop. I was uh, living in Milwaukee at the time and I uh, was married at the time, didn't have a whole lot of money. And um, I needed something I could get online with, but I, I didn't have the money for a laptop. So I brought this thing, I bought this thing called a Brother Geobook. It had the form factor of a laptop, it, you know, clamshell design with a keyboard and a screen. Um, but I think I bought it at Staples or Office Max on sale. I want to say for like 200 bucks and I paid too much for it because the thing was, it didn't really, it wasn't a computer. It was kind of like the same thing, like an internet appliance. You could do basic word processing on it, very basic computer functions, but it ran a proprietary OS. And it was kind of like a, a proto tablet in a way because you open the lid and it had like nine or 10 icons and a grid on it. And that was all you could do with it. You couldn't like add anything to it. You couldn't add apps or programs to it. You had like an internet icon, you had like a word processing icon, a spreadsheet thing, and it was slow as shit, but it would had a basic browser on it, and you could yeah. look at web pages, and you could send and receive email. Um, and I used that thing for two or three years until I could afford a real computer. But that, again, is another product that was supposed to be this kind of stopgap, this, this uh, intermediary between having no computer and having to spend thousands on one. And it did what it was supposed to pretty admirably for a little while, but it just never really caught on, so it fell down and... Be- just was not a thing after a while. See, back in 2004, I worked for a company called Zones in the, in the Auburn area up here. Right, at, and I remember it distinctly because I was getting divorced at the time and and uh, driving something like 45 minutes every day one way to work. So it seemed Oof. like a, it seemed like a lot. I've done it. It seemed like a lot. But my job at Zones was to sell technology to. Uh, tech companies, IT companies, places that require, you know, oh, you need uh, so many, you know, server racks, or you need so many uh, hard drives, or, you know, monitor support, and things like that. Uh, We would sell technology to technology companies. And so they would bring in a lot of, we would have, like, vendor fairs, like, a couple times a month, where you go down and and you talk to various... uh, uh, marketing reps for different companies that uh, were mm-hmm. trying to showcase their hardware and everything. And I distinctly remember one of my favorite things was Sony at the time uh, had a little miniature version of their Sony Vio laptop. And it was about it was about the size of a, of a freaking uh, 3DS, if I think about it. So if you're looking at it... I remember netbooks. Like this big. I mean, it, it's tiny. And in it, it's got the touch, not touch screen, but it's got a little mouse nubbin like all the HP computers have. And you can uh, move over to your your tabs there. So it's a little mouse and the keyboard's freaking minuscule and tiny. And the screen real estate's awfully small. But hey, there's the, there's the, uh, the Apple icon right there or the, or the Microsoft icon right there. It's, it's a little tiny computer you can carry around in your hand. And it's something like... Eight hundred, fourteen hundred dollars. I mean, it was expensive, so it was all well outside of my my wheelhouse back then. But I just I remember seeing this line of technology coming in and going out, coming in and going out, and what's what's relevant now and what's irrelevant later. And 
it's just funny now this also dovetails real nicely into my personal type of collecting uh, video games because we've also had a number of video game uh, platforms that have been created and just for whatever reason didn't catch on things like uh, well the biggest example that comes to my mind is I own one I really enjoy having it but it's a motherfucker to play uh, the Virtual Boy. The, uh -huh. the Nintendo Virtual Boy was meant to be Nintendo's first foray into three-dimensional graphical gameplay. And as you look at it, it looks like a big giant set of frickin' binoculars that you hold <laughs> up. You, you have to set it on a stand. <clears throat> and you gotta it's got legs. Lean over this stand and put your face into these goggles. And it's it's like red line screens and it's the depth of field is, is what they play with on it. And it actually, for what it is, it works really, really well. It was very, yeah. very well designed at the time, but people didn't get it. And, of course, playing it for anything longer than 20 minutes at a pop, you get, it gives you a blistering fucking headache. It's like eye-humping Cyclops <laughs> from the fucking X-Men. I mean... just red directly <laughs> into your eyeballs for, for 20 minutes. It's not good for your fucking eyes. And, and so, I mean, I've played it. I enjoy playing it. Yeah, I love I, it. I had a chance it's, to play it a couple fun, of times. Small increments, very small increments. And so the, obviously that didn't sell uh, and, it, and it discontinued. It's really hard to find now in good shape. Uh, it is something that collectors really kind of cleave to, but uh, it is... Uh, it is a failure. It has always been looked at as a failure in the video game market. And then in addition to that, we have things... Uh, every, every company worth their salt. If they're, if they're a tech company in the, the modern era, they're going to try and get into the video game market because they want a little bit of that sweet, sweet video game cash. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and so Apple was the same way. Apple has never reliably had a good... A video game foray. I mean, you can play anything you want on the Apple Store. The stuff for the iPhone and all that. That's fine. Those are just app games. Those don't count. But they've never really had their own hardware. Uh, unless you, What, Pippin? Maybe that's what we're getting to. The Apple Pippin. Yeah. Uh, was created to kind of fill that gap. Uh, you can still find them. They are still available. They're very, very difficult to come across. And, and not cheap at all when you do. But its lifespan was 1996 to 1997, price point right around $600, which, you know, that's about the same price as a PlayStation 5 now, but that's $600. Yeah. Adjusted for inflation, that's a pretty now. expensive, uh, even for Apple, which has a kind of a track record of coming out with pretty expensive shit that isn't quite as functional as something comparable you can get from a competitor. And according to the Wikipedia, they only sold something like 42,000 units. So uh, it's uh, just not a big enough installed user base to really start pushing games out to it. Right. Uh, Philips had their sh uh, attempt at the CDI. Uh, Which I've played it. I thought it was great. I had a friend uh, years ago who was a video game collector, and, and he had a 3DO and a CDI. And, you know, we played them, and uh, there were some great games on those consoles. The only reason I want to get a Philips CDI in my house is because I want to get, and they're stupid expensive, but Nintendo in their infinite wisdom at that point had, had marketed <laughs> and released 
<laughs> their character Mario and their character uh, Link uh, for some really god awful uh, Sword of Gamelon. Legendarily Legend, terrible. Legend of Zelda Sword of Gamelon was one of them, and then like Super Mario Hotel was another one, and they're, and they're just they're bad. Some of the only first party Nintendo games to ever appear on a different platform. Right. So they're just they're bad. There's no way to say you yeah. can't sugarcoat it. They're just bad. They're awful. Uh, and then I think that was the last time Nintendo's like, ah, oh, fuck that, we're not doing that anymore. We'll just make our own shit. And if it fails, it fails. But uh, yeah, uh, this has been a lot. Well, of and in the interest of the uh, video game market, so yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Google Stadia thing. I think when we first talked about this uh, on on Messenger a couple of days ago, uh, I remember being at E3 in 2011 or 2012, mm-hmm. and there was a, a an, uh, the original cloud gaming platform was called On Live. And that came out a little over 10 years ago now. Because um, it was either 11 or 12, and this is 2022, so it's it's at least 10 years ago, 10 years old. And um, I want to say that that technology was what Google bought to base their uh, Stadia. Stadia service on. But on Live was the original cloud gaming service, and they pushed that pretty hard for a long, long time. But it didn't work great. You had to have a broadband connection for it, which 10 years ago was not as common as it is now in order to be able to, to stream the games in any kind of graphical fidelity or or not have lag on the controls, and it just didn't go. People tried really hard. to. to they had a huge booth at E3, and they, they really did a lot to try and, and flog the technology to people, but it just never quite caught on. And I guess even 10 years later, we're sort of still not ready for it. And you and I have talked quite a bit in previous episodes about how... We really like to have physical media. I will, I'm not above downloading a digital version of a game. Goodness knows I've done it, especially on this latest round of consoles, on the Series X and the PS5 and the Switch. I've downloaded a lot of games. But I do still prefer, if at all possible, to have physical storage media because of things like the uh, the Scott Pilgrim side-scrolling beat-em-up yep. that because they lost some music licensing, they pulled it from the store on Xbox and there was never a physical release. So for a while there, people who were huge Scott Pilgrim fans were putting or buying uh, consoles, uh, Xbox 360 consoles with this game on it um, to be able to play it on yeah. the caveat that when you get this thing, do not connect it to the internet. Don't hook it up to your, don't plug it in, don't connect it to your Wi-Fi because the second you do, this game will get yanked off your, your console mm-hmm. um, because they lost the licensing for some of the music. So it's not even like, people don't understand a lot of the time when you buy a game on uh, on a download service, you're not really buying the game. You're buying a license to use the game. And sometimes that license can get revoked. Right. So all things being equal, if the price is the same, if you're going to pay 60 bucks for Assassin's Creed Valhalla on disc versus a download of it, I'm probably going to opt for the disc. I'm, I'm going to get my happy ass up and march into the GameStop, or I'm going to go to Amazon and order an actual physical copy, just so that somebody a couple years down the road can't decide, hey, we don't want you to have this anymore, and we're going to yoink, and you know, the next update, we're just going to pull it off of your console. Yeah, like I, we've talked about this before. I, I've been a physical media kind of guy for a long time, too. Uh, but my collection of buying physical media has even dropped since uh, buying the PS5 and buying the the Xbox One, or the Xbox Series X, uh, uh, I've been using a lot more of the streaming services for these games. And just strictly out of a cost-saving measure, because I'm poor all the time, I'm broke. You know, you make the one-time upfront cash payment of like 75 or $100 or whatever it is for the online service for the year, yeah. and then... 
you don't have to think about it every, 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 at all after that. So I, I look at it as uh, I paid the price for like a game, maybe a game and a half, and then I can have access to these libraries of downloadable or streamable games. I don't have to think about it. They just pop up. I can do all this, that, the other thing. So yes, I have been taking advantage of it, but I am still very much in my heart and my soul a physical media kind of guy. And uh, Agreed. I mean, but there's... I mean, this technology comes and goes so quickly. Uh, we see technology rise. It's supposed to be the next best thing. And then all of a sudden, where the fuck did it go? Things like, uh, right. pal remember Palm Pilots? I had a Palm Pilot. Oh, sure. I had a Palm Pilot, too. Yeah. You remember Blackberry? I remember Blackberry. My first three smartphones were Blackberries. I actually started <laughs> off having like the... My first ever cell phone was one of those Nextel push-to-talk glorified walkie-talkie bricks. Uh, back in, I want to say, 2004 or five, And then I had a series of flip phones. I had a couple Kyocera flip phones. Uh, and then my first smartphone, I had two Blackberry curves and then a bold before I made the leap to uh, to the Google G1. Yeah. Um, which was the not the first phone to have a pop-out keyboard, but I, I, I liked the physical tactile uh, feel of the keys. And I remember thinking to myself back, you know, when I first bought these uh, these Blackberries, yeah, I mean, at the time they had a much bigger market share. They're a much bigger deal. And they, of course, also have since flopped. But I liked the tactile feel of the keys and the separate screen because I'm like, I, I'll never get used to a touch screen. It just seems artificial to me. I like to have that actual interface with what I'm looking at. And I also don't want to have to deal with fucking greasy fingerprints all over my screen. <laughs> I get driven nuts if I have like a speck of dust on my sunglasses or if my windshield has a bug on it. Yeah. I don't like if I have a glass, if there's glass in between me and what I'm looking at, I don't want there to be smudges or, or streaks or, or, or dead bugs on the glass. Right. So I thought, yes, a, a, a full front glass smartphone is going to drive me crazy. So I bought the Google G1. It was a T-Mobile exclusive at the time, and it was my carrier at the time. And I remember having this phone on my first E3, so like 2011. And I thought to myself, never going to use the touchscreen, but I mean, it'll be a nice transition, I guess. You know, I might use it for a couple little things. I'll just use the pop-out keyboard. I think I used it twice because it was it worked well, but it was just easier to use the screen, and I actually enjoyed using the screen a lot more than I thought I was going to. And uh, of course, every phone I've had since then has just had the glass front touchscreen on it, and that's just that's the norm now, and that's what we all use. But I resisted that too, so I'm just not good at picking tech winners. I still remember distinctly, like, when the phones were getting smaller and smaller, and that was the thing, wanting that Star Trek foldable, like, min not, not miniature, but it was definitely tiny. And then yeah. going into, like, a Best Buy and seeing the, the new displays on, on display. Oh, the new iPhone is fucking huge. It looks like you're going to hold a TV to your face. And, and all yeah. this shit. And then all a phablet. All of us, yeah, phablet was a thing. And then... I remember it because I ended up moving to uh, that architecture, that infrastructure, this the the big giant screen, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the bigger the better. Here comes more real estate. You know, oh yeah. And I, the only thing that I hesitated on when it comes to uh, uh, telephones and things like that is, as I always wanted to have the rechargeable batteries, the internal memory you could change out, things like that. And I, I kicked and struggled as those went away as well. So, yeah, my first couple of phones actually had the uh, the removable battery, which I, I it's, had that pisses batteries. me off that that went away. I always had extra yeah. batteries. 
I had extra batteries, and if the phone ever decided to lock up or freeze up because the technology wasn't perfect then, you, uh, you could always just pop out the battery and do a hard reset on it. Yep. And it worked really well. And the, the, the batteries are still the weak spots in the phones now. And that's the planned obsolescence they build into it. Um, the only reason I update my phone every two years is because the batteries stop holding a charge for more than a couple of hours once you get to like the year and a half mark. Yep. Uh, I'm a huge fan of OnePlus. Uh, my, my last three smartphones have been OnePlus. I own the 6, the 8 Pro, and now the 10 Pro. And uh, they're great phones, and I probably would not have upgraded from the 8 Pro to the 10 Pro a couple months ago if not for the fact that my battery wasn't lasting more than maybe three or four hours without having to be plugged into the car or having to bring an external battery pack along. Um, you can't just pop the batteries out anymore. They're a sealed unit. You violate the warranty if you open it up. Your mom's and, uh, a sealed unit. That really unit. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it just really sucks. I hate it. But... Um, we're getting up on our time here, but I wanted to pop out a couple more quick shots of little things that sure. were supposed to be the next big thing that just failed miserably. What do you got? Um, Google Plus. <laughs> Google Plus was supposed to be Google's answer to social media. Uh, it was supposed to take on uh, uh, Facebook and or, or LinkedIn or even MySpace, and it just they they pushed it out to massive fanfare, and the instead of trumpets, it just turned into a wet fart noise. Nobody. I, I had a Google Plus account. I, think I, I set it up when, but I, I set it up and then left it sit. I and never I went back to it. I set it up, it. put some pictures on it. Like I think I copied over my either Facebook or MySpace bio at the time to say, well, this, this could be a thing in a minute. And it just never went anywhere. Just absolutely fucking fell. Yeah, I think I set mine up and then just it just let, let it fall. So I'm right there with you. Um, the Magic Leap is another one. Uh, Magic Leap is, is a pretty recent failure. Um, they, uh, they're, they're a VR company that rather than like put, uh, well, no, they, okay, they weren't VR. They were a hybrid of VR and, um, sort of enhanced reality, sort of IR, um, where you could put goggles on and their tech demos looked super impressive where you'd be like, there'd be a bunch of school kids sitting in bleachers in an assembly where they had these Googles goggles on and you could see like virtual reality stuff happening in there. Like the, the demo I remember had like whales swimming by in midair and, and like teachers using like this augmented reality thing to, uh, to, to like move, like do the sort of like, um, what was that movie with Tom Cruise Minority Report where they're like moving things around in, in, in space in front of their faces that didn't actually exist. And, and apparently it was going to be a big thing. It attracted some major backers. There were some huge names in tech that were attached to it. And then it just very quietly went away and we never heard anything about it again. But yeah, so I mean, dead tech is just kind of a a thing that happens. It's as as advancements occur, uh, things are going to come and go rapidly. It's going to be an idea of like what sticks, what doesn't. In the case of Google Stadia, it didn't stick, but we're having things like uh, Game Pass and and uh, PlayStation Network stuff happen that is adapting that same kind of motto and moving forward with it. So. And we don't know that those models will succeed into the future. That could be something that disappears uh, six months, a year down the line, too. So the, everyone's always shunting off their, uh, their, their product lines for something new. And, and hopefully they can mm -hmm. get something new and stay with the curve. Otherwise, you're going to end up like your OnLives or your, your, your e-machines. Or, your, you or, or Quickster. Remember Quickster? I don't. What's a Quickster? 
uh, Quickster was what Netflix tried to do once they realized that uh, they had a fragmented business uh, between their streaming and still their DVD by mail service. They decided to split them off into separate services under the same umbrella, and Quickster was going to be the DVD delivery service, and Netflix was going to continue to be streaming. And then they just decided, why would we fragment our brand when we're already known for this? And even though uh, Netflix very quietly still... Um, operates a DVD by mail service. You can still get that if you don't have internet. Um, obviously, their their uh, their streaming services is, is a big deal now. So it was uh, less than six months after they announced Quickster that they just quietly killed it and just became Netflix again. I love the fact that uh, during the whole rise of Netflix and the fall of Blockbuster, uh, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix whole stock. Uh, yeah. Or something like four billion dollars or something it was a large amount of money but overall it wouldn't have been that big an investment obviously because we've seen what netflix has become uh mm-hmm. and which would have maybe kept blockbuster relevant for a little while longer but uh blockbuster and then netflix passed them up and secured their market share and then blockbuster yeah. tried to come up with a competing streaming service but it was too little too late and they themselves got eaten by their former proposed acquisition Yeah, it's it's funny to watch these things happen sometimes. I mean, and and like I said, I've got a bad track record of, of adopting the wrong technologies, yeah. picking the wrong horse in the fight, as it were. And, and I know you shared it with me, but uh, uh, let us know uh, what you feel. What's your favorite deceased technology? What is your favorite antiquated uh, horse that you backed that just didn't go anywhere, didn't leave the gate. Does 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 your TikTok account scratch that vine itch, or do you long for those short attention span theater six second videos? Because if you had told me years ago, hey, there's two online video services that have short form video. One of them is an unending wall that you can scroll on forever, where things just grow up and up and up. And another one, you only have six seconds. But one is called Vine, and one is called TikTok. If I find out which was which, I'd kick you in the balls. Right, they're not named right. Somebody fucked that up. No, they're not. But uh, let us know uh, what your uh, favorite uh, horse in the fight were, as it were. Like, what did you back that didn't end up going anywhere? Or or what do you still hold a soft spot for, like with Jim and his uh, mini-disc player and me with the... Uh, I loved him. With my virtual boy. And I had a mini-disc player, actually, working for that Zones company. We would take yeah. Microsoft training classes, and you get, like, reward points at the end of the training classes. And so I built up all my reward points and, and bought... A mini disc player with it so i mean it's still got it in the garage somewhere i know it's here but uh, mine's in the closet <laughs> well let us know what you think hit us up on facebook facebook.com while it's still a going concern while it, you know, facebook can yeah, go you away never know. Too. you never know anything can fail anything can fail facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom you can drop us an email while you still can at fuel your fandom at <laughs> gmail.com or at the backup email address at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram while you can at, at FuelYourFandom. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter while you can at, at Fuel underscore your. And you can find us wherever podcasts are bought, sold, traded, and stolen. Um, places like iHeartRadio or Audible or Spotify or on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Any place you can find podcasts, we're going to be there. While podcasts are still a thing. Next time, mm-hmm. next time they're just going to give us a chip. We're going to inject it into your brain, and you'll just hear us randomly. Cool I mean, Apple's happen. phasing out pods. Comp- there's not going to be pods anymore. It's all just iPhones now. But they still call them podcasts, and we're <laughs> living proof of that. That's true. 
That's absolutely true. But we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. On behalf of Jim and I, I want to thank you again. And we do remember that everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,